welcome to Pretty Invested. I'm Eleanor and this is LB. Presented by your favorite ex-finance bros. We talk about the money things you actually care about. Hey guys, welcome to our first episode of Pretty Invested, where we talk about everything money from your favorite recovering finance bros. It's Eleanor and LD. LD, how are you? I'm good. It's our first episode. I can't believe it's happening. We're filming in Miami. Yeah. It's a beautiful day. Yeah. First in-person recording. Some of these are going to be remotely because I live in Miami. I live in New York. So why are we having this podcast? Should we just get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. I think we were both coming to this idea separately and then arrived at the conclusion together and it fit like a puzzle. But the whole reason this really came to me is that I used to work in investment banking and finance on Wall Street in New York, like the highest level of finance. And even amongst my female friends who are working in that industry, we never talked about money. And the funny thing is all of my male colleagues were constantly talking about stock markets, their portfolio, like what were, were good investments to make, their apartments, you know, prices that they would pay for stuff. And I think that type of transparency and openness was really helpful to them. And We all know that there's a gender wealth gap, unfortunately, and there's many ways to tackle it. But I think a big one is just starting to have women openly speak to each other about it and have those conversations. And it doesn't have to be boring or I think for a lot of people, it can be stigmatized. You feel like you can't really talk about money. It's like taboo. Yeah. But it shouldn't be. And we should have these open conversations with each other. Yeah. Men have more of an open sharing culture. Even guys that don't work in finance. Like, yeah, they talk about so, their finances with each other. Like, yeah. DraftKings. What's DraftKings? What was it? The, the gambling? GameStop. GameStop. Yeah. Yes, GameStop. GameStop. The, the whole Reddit. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that was, like, predominantly testosterone-driven activity. And I think that's when I first started getting in, involved in my own... You know, kind of like gambling with money, kind of not gambling with money. But it's when I entered my Robin Hood era. And I remember talking to my girlfriends about it. And they would just look at me like I had four heads. Really? And I think because I'm typically more willing to put money at risk, I was like, okay, I'm going to talk to my girlfriends about this. And I think I always kind of found myself being one of the first people to like openly talk about finances and like what I was doing with my investing. Because... I, similar to you, like, I didn't want to have all those conversations with, like, dudes. I I just wanted to have more of, like, a transparent, collaborative thing with girls. And the more I tried doing that, the more I was like, oh, my God, like, everyone is so afraid to do anything beyond, like, touch their 401k. There's an inherent risk to investing, like, let's be honest. And this podcast is not financial advice, but there's an upside. And it doesn't have to be so scary. The market, on average, historically has returned 7%. And with compounding interest, if you start investing when you're 23 versus when you're 28, five-year difference, yeah, that's a huge difference in, like, the wealth that you're able to generate as a woman. Yeah. And I think we just don't have those conversations with one another. Yeah. Well, it's also, like, there were never any podcasts that covered this topic. Like, right. I remember graduating school and there was Joe Rogan, there was Call Her Daddy, and those were basically, like, the two things that you listened to if you weren't, like, absolutely obsessed with podcasts and like yeah or like well-versed on what's available out there yeah. and i remember refinery 29 started doing this thing called money diaries and i listened to it religiously and then they stopped doing it like after a few months i don't know if women just weren't interested in the topic but like that was my sunday reset activity like i would 
do my weekly cleaning on Sundays and listen to Money Diaries. And it was so helpful to me. And then that went away and I was like, okay, like, what are my resources now? Like, just reading resources. There was nothing that was entertaining for, like, our demographic. Or, like, people who looked like us, who we could see ourselves in. Yeah. It was, you know... I think I assumed finance was, you know, frumpy suits, like businesswoman. Like it wasn't something that was interesting or approachable to me. Yeah. And we worked in finance and we felt that way versus, you know, I think all of my friends who are women can serve to benefit from talking about their money, feeling like they're in control of their finances, everything from like purchasing, budgeting buying an apartment, how you view money and like how you spend. It touches every part of our lives, but we feel like it's taboo. So we just kind of circumvent it. I think we really just want Pretty Invested to be an opportunity to have these conversations with one another and also to have guests. I think there's so much to be discussed that isn't just like about REITs and 401ks and indices and all this like boring financial jargon. And I think having those people come on here that are like regular women who are also really successful tell you a little bit about their tips. Yeah, yeah. And hence the name, Pretty Invested. It's not like you have to give up being, you know, a girl. And a girl. (laughs) And this is just like some masculine thing that we aren't able to wrap our heads around. You can be feminine and be invested actively and also just passionate about things we just like love the the double meaning of pretty invested we're pretty invested people but yeah i think it might make sense to talk about our backgrounds a little bit and you know why we specifically resonated yeah so like you i think had a clear track Mm -hmm. and you knew earlier on in life that you wanted to work in and around the finance world whereas my path was more windy but i guess our money behaviors and just our general demeanor towards money starts in childhood. So yeah. Do you want to get into it from the beginning? From the beginning? Sure. So I was born and raised in Miami, the beautiful city that we're in right now. And my parents immigrated here. And when they came to the U.S., they didn't really have a lot of money. You know, it's typical. The number changes, but it's, you know, $500 in my pocket, $800 in my pocket. I don't know how much it actually was, but that's really funny. We had a similar range. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The, the number changes, so I don't know how much they actually came to the U.S. with. Yeah. Point being, they were not set up. They started in a whole new country, barely knew the language. They waited a few years before they had me. But I was the youngest daughter in an immigrant family. We kind of grew up not with too much. And then... In the span of my childhood, my, my mom started her own business. We became pretty comfortable. And it was a very interesting experience going from like the one of the poorest kids in school yeah. to, oh, we're actually one of the wealthier people in our friend group. Yeah. So I have a very interesting relationship with money where for me, since I didn't grow up with it, there are points where I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to let money you know, define me or motivate me. Like, I was able to live a life and be very happy without it. Yeah. So, if anything, I I know I can go back and I can survive and thrive. So, I don't let money control me in that way. Yeah. But I also acknowledge the power 
and the freedom that having financial freedom gives you. Yeah. So that was my background. And it's made me view money as a tool, not as something that controls me. And then after that, I went to college and then started my career in investment banking in New York. And now I work as a venture capitalist and I've had a lot of privilege in being able to access very accomplished, smart minds, be in very elite circles and have access and insight to how people who I never would have interacted with from my parents' background and know how they've built their wealth. And it is a little bit hush-hush how people do everything. So I wanted to have more open conversations and yeah. It's not dissimilar from mine. Yeah. Like we were also an immigrant family. I immigrated here with my parents when I was mm-hmm. two. I mean, I've like told you the whole story. I think like our range is like it varies from like six to eight hundred dollars. Yeah. We like borrowed from a family friend. Yeah. And then another family friend like paid for our rent for like three months and then that added to like Wait, how old were you when you immigrated here? I was two. Or two. It's like yeah. a baby. I don't really remember any money stress from like my very early childhood. And I think my parents did a really good job of making sure that we had a lot of fun. Like we would always go back. So we immigrated from Albania. We'd always go back to Albania like two months out of the year. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I always felt relatively fine. Because I grew up in Queens, so, like, I always felt relatively fine relative to everyone else in Queens because we yeah. had, like, pretty similar journeys. Like, if other kids weren't immigrants themselves at school, then they were the children of, of immigrants. So I had two younger brothers. One was born right after me. And then when my youngest brother was born, we have a 10-year age gap. My mom started going back to work. And I really felt a shift in, like, my parents' dynamic when my mom started going back to work. Like, I could just tell that she's, like, spending more money on herself and, like, really living life in a way that I hadn't seen her live her life before. And I felt like it impacted my confidence. Like, even at school, like, I was more empowered because I saw that my mom was, like, bringing this new energy home. Yeah. It's Um, when it's your money. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, like, that made me start to have more thoughts on what I wanted my lifestyle to look like. My parents were, again, like very typical Albanian, did not want me to go to college far away. Really? Oh, no. <laughs> so the only way that I was able to dorm was if I got a full ride. Wow. So I ended up getting a full ride. It was like a whole process. I worked my ass off in high school. But I think that's where I like really developed my work ethic. I was always a pretty hard worker as a kid, but I worked my ass off in high school to get a full ride to Colgate. I went there. I studied biochemistry because I just, when you're like an immigrant, you're like, all right, I'm STEM. (laughs) That's it. Or or law school. STEM or law school. You become a doctor or lawyer or engineer. I was a math major when I went in. Okay. There you go. (laughs) So I studied biochem and I was like, what the hell am I going to do with my life? Like I hate clinical research because I started I started doing my junior year I had that epiphany later on and like when you've dedicated three years of school to a degree I was like all right well what are the other options for background everyone at Colgate was a wasp like it was always a joke where like the frat boys didn't have to work hard at school because they could just go work at their dad's hedge fund 
it's it's a generalization, but it, everyone a had why there is those. Yeah, it's like very like Connecticut vibes um or westchester and i was like oh my god i'm not gonna be like them like that i have to go work on wall street and inter- keep interacting with boys like that like i hated it so i went to tech okay it was awesome it was the best first job i could have ever had i was working at this startup in brooklyn in the crypto space i got to learn so much and after two years i was able to work on their acquisition and that was kind of like my entry into the VC space, uh, which VC is still like more more of like a techie version of finance. It's not like the right. depths and throws of finance, yeah. which like, you know, from having worked on Wall Street, I've never done like Wall Street, Wall Street vibes. Like mm-hmm. you yeah. can speak to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And something that I think we were saying is we want to do like confessions of a former investment banker to <laughs> bring some people on. You know, that'd be fun. fun. Get some honest takes on what it's like working the hundred hour weeks or oh my god, or being a trader or working at a hedge fund. Yeah, those those are also super different experiences. Yeah, when I told my parents I was doing investment banking, they thought I was gonna be a trader. I was like, no, and they still don't know. They still think it's similar. My parents still don't really get what I did. Same. Yeah. Same. That's okay. They're like, you're you're doing well. You don't need our financial support. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't know. I think we talked about our career paths. You said you originally in biochem thought you were going to do this, but then decided to work in tech. And I think something to be honest about is the salary and the money component. Oh my God. How did that inform your thinking? That was like 90% of my thinking. Hey. Dude, being a scientist, you have to be a martyr. You don't make anything unless you go the PhD route. And I was like, I'm not going to be broke until I'm like, 28 and like ugly and wrinkled no, you no no oh my god <laughs> i was like i want to make money tomorrow yeah and, and that's okay like yeah i think we as women are like so shamed for wanting money but we're greedy and it's like i think it's okay for us not to be martyrs and yeah okay sort of like we should we need to pay people who are in these like other in other industries better you know especially yeah. we need to pay academics more yeah yeah but yeah money was like so much of the equation yeah and i mean did you go into finance because you were interested in like the like the nature of the work like did you Mm. did you like kind of like crunching numbers yeah did you like the deal process did you like like the business like what about it made you excited yeah so i'll get to your your part of your question first but i think for context i went into college thinking that I would, you know, go become a lawyer, go the NGO route, maybe work in, you know, yeah. policy. That I I want to change the world. I think as a lot of young people do. Yeah. And then there's this idea that I told you about called ikigai, mm-hmm. which is the Japanese term. Sorry for butchering the definition, but it's the combination of what you're good at what the world needs and like kind of what gives you meaning we'll put the venn diagrams in yeah and for me i was you know i said i went to college as a math major i didn't end up as a math major but i'm very logically and quantitatively minded so i was actually good at things like finance and accounting it was interesting to me and i i I mean i was still i'm a pretty decent writer so like I, i could have gone the other route as well and then what the world needs 
the meaning part. That's, I'll touch on those. So for me, I realized that similar to you in biochem, it's not what I wanted to do. I talked to a lot of people who worked in the nonprofit sector and it just wasn't a day-to-day lifestyle, like the nine to five bureaucracy and then going to law school. Like to me, it didn't really give me impact. Like I, did, I didn't mind working those hundred hours. I, I was a hustler. I still am a hustler. You didn't mind? Like I, at all, like I, ever? I, maybe that I was, you know, you know, what's, what's the word? Brainwashed into thinking like, oh, I need to. It's part of the grind. It's part of the lifestyle. Yeah. But I was willing to put it in, you know? And I was like, I'm good at this. There aren't that many women in this industry. Yeah. And the meaning part was like, you know, money is actually super powerful. Having money allows you sometimes to bulldoze through to get what you want, right? I saw donations or acquisitions that someone can just take control rather than like spending years working on policy yeah. that with not within my control could be ripped away from me. And yeah. it's the thing I'm most passionate about and I can't have that much control over it I, I i just didn't like it and i like the idea of you know what i want to be in the space that's predominantly men add a female voice there try and pave the way for other women and also at the same time garner enough money and power so that i can make those decisions rather than appeasing to certain government bodies and appeasing to the people in power you would rather yeah. like, be one of the people in exactly power. so yeah. that's where i found meaning like not directly in the day-to-day like doing M&A or helping with an IPO that that's what I was super interested it's yeah. a very interesting process I don't know if you have like watched succession it's it's fun and it's fascinating these are billion dollar deals that are happening like hundreds of millions of dollars of capital yeah. you're helping to maneuver succession is so good it is but I think it was more so like I was gonna get super great skills I was gonna be in a position that opened a lot of doors for me and mm-hmm. Something about my personality kind of likes being in a space that is male-dominated in the sense that they're like, that's why I wanted to do STEM. I was like, no, I want to do it because I want to prove that I can. Same, same. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I want to pave the way for more women. Like, why not? Yeah. So that was- You're like so fired up as a feminist when you're in high school. Like, you also don't really understand how gender works at work yet yeah it's it's a little naive there's a reason why there are a lot of women who you'll see at the top of the funnel like a lot of analysts yeah who are women it's like almost equal sometimes at the banks but there's a reason why women churn and there's very few at you know the top like the managing directors and i think there's a lot that we can go into there there's a reason why i'm no longer at my investment bank i think i'm in a better position and with more influence because the whole thing with investment banking is like you kind of are a little bit of a cog in the machine mm-hmm. up until a certain point. Yeah. And I thought early stage investing gave me more of an opportunity to develop my own PCs, work with founders. And it's also a good way if you make the right bets, make a lot of money. Yeah. And network with the right people. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. Yeah. That was a really long-winded answer. <laughs> I did like all those things about finance. But that, that, the work itself was not the reason why yeah, I yeah. decided to make that move. And it was a lot of thinking to get comfortable doing that. Because I, I did feel like a sellout for a little bit to my younger high school feminist self that took a shift. Well, it's like a very smart way to go about making one of the most important decisions in your life, like right. picking your career. It's not just 
the content of your work. It's more so the lifestyle that you're signing up for. And if anything, like that is the lifestyle that you will have, like especially working in New York or like in major cities or honestly, I think Americans have like their careers are a much larger part of their lives than they would be for people in the rest of the world. And I definitely feel that seeing that most of my cousins are spread out throughout Europe. Uh, I definitely had the worst quality of life amongst all of my family members. And I was not working 100-hour weeks, right? Like, I, I would maybe do, like, 80, 90 consistently. But, like... It's not. Yeah. But it's very different from doing that all the time and having that almost be the norm. Like, if I did 80-hour weeks, I would get, like, a pat on the back. You know, and be like, oh, my gosh, thank you. Yeah. But what was I going to say? Yeah, like it's it's really smart to take into account the lifestyle that you're signing up for. And I think sometimes the only good thing about working in finance is all the learning opportunities that are there and the connection ability. And sure, like the money is good, but when you back it out to calculate it per hour, sometimes you're making less than minimum wage. So the money's not yeah. that great, yeah. but it's it's a better version of school sometimes. I think yeah and like sometimes I think about it and I think about the rooms that I'm in the people that I I have access to and you know it's it's two daughter of immigrants was not guaranteed this lifestyle like my parents like we said they don't even know what we do yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact they're that- not able to help us <laughs> network <laughs> no but so it's one of those things where I think back I'm like wow this is actually pretty wild to think the spaces that I've been able to to get into and definitely have a lot of privilege. And I think finance does give you a lot of access that you otherwise wouldn't have, you know, yeah. like like an immigrant girl from Miami, well, daughter of immigrant, I was born here, but yeah. And I think there is a lot of benefits to going into finance. Yeah. I will say, this is not to say that I think finance like every girl should go into finance absolutely not there's a lot of money to be made elsewhere (laughs) it's a lot of money to be made elsewhere and you know i just clarify do not mean to say like oh going the nonprofit or the lawyer route isn't the right one that was not the right one for me yeah it's a lot easier for me to do look at like a a balance sheet yeah right where my skill sets were where i found passion the type of like pace i wanted yeah and I think a lot of people are graduating soon. So it's like a very helpful process to like look at the Venn diagrams that Elle's laying out in Ikigai and kind of figure out where all of your strengths are. Yeah. And like it kind of helps you make a, a market map, if you will, <laughs> of like all the different career paths. Yeah. And another thing is like something doesn't have to be your job. That's what gives you meaning. Like you can have a job that allows you to work remotely and travel or gives you time to work on your other hobbies or have a side hustle. It's not like your job has to be the thing that gives you passion and like gives yeah. you life, right? So there are a lot of factors that go into making these types of decisions. And each person weighs these things differently. So it's a very personal decision. And this decision is probably one of the biggest ones you'll make. One of my biggest qualms with just the path that 18 year olds are set on these days is you have to pick your major when you're 18 19 20 luckily your major actually doesn't really matter for anything that you want to do in life like I'm a science major and 
I worked in tech and then finance. It's it's flexible, but you would think that it's not flexible. And then you have to make all these big life decisions when you're 22 and like your brain isn't fully formed. So I would say I'm happy that our society has shifted so much now to where the natural path isn't just working up the corporate ladder and going to one company out of school and staying there for 10, 15, 20 years. Like it's fine now to job hop every two years or every one year, I think. With Gen Z, we're probably going to see even shorter tenures. And that's a really good thing because, I mean, number one, it's great for, like, getting pay bumps. But it, it's it's a really big part of self-discovery. Like, if you're working a job that really feels like a bad fit for you, that tells you so much about yourself. If you're working at a job that feels like a really good fit for you, that tells you so much about yourself. Yeah. Like, I think careers are so much more fun than school because you learn more and you get paid to do it yeah each person has a different path and i think we like we do want to be honest and open about like what it is to have a finance career but i think that you don't need to be in finance or work in one of those industries in order to take control of your finances and have you seen that netflix show how to get rich I heard about it. Have yeah. you seen it? Do you like it? I'm like halfway through it. What's um, your- I think it's really good. Like, yeah. okay, I, I, I forget what the host's name is, but he works with people of all different kinds of backgrounds. But I would say he gives like very sensical advice about passive investing and maxing out your 401k. There are so many ways to like do your finances. It's just about having the balls to like go through it and like do your budgeting on a weekly basis and understand what your credit score is and be really good at managing your credit cards and staying on top of your bills and all these financial hygiene things that are like not scary but seem so scary especially if you don't come from family backgrounds of like that's true ha- doing. exactly yeah yeah, it's funny because I'm assuming that you probably have better financial hygiene than I do, actually. What makes you think that? <laughs> so I'm not a budgeter. Like, I think I have. I'm not a huge budgeter either. Yeah, I don't. I definitely. When you said, like, go every week and look at your budget. I'm like, no. I, I used to be when I was making less. Really? Yeah. I think there, there's flexibility that comes with having a higher salary and having savings. So Wait, it's, it's a slippery slope. I'll get into it. I've made so many mistakes. Oh, my God. Because. Another thing that I think is super fascinating that I want to talk about is like spending and and knowing what gives you utility and what gives you happiness and value. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to make sense for everyone. Like maybe you living in a really nice apartment in, you know, Tribeca is worth it for you. Maybe. And I think it's different for people, but it's acknowledging it. And then also moving things around to make space for that. So you're not going to debt. Yeah. Right. Like I was buying designer shoes when I was in college. I lived in a shoe box, but I'm like, it's okay because I'm living in a shoe box. <laughs> so give me my Gucci heels. But I think it can be fun too. Like you can eventually you'll get good at it. So unless yeah. I see something pop out on me on my credit card steward, I'm not like going through every single one of them. Yeah. And you don't, I don't want people to have like a, like a, a scarcity relationship with money where they're, yeah. they're, they're holding on too tight for it. like Which I totally did right out of school. Really? Oh, my God. I, I, I would say if, like, half of what I made, it was extreme. 
Yeah. And the thing is, sometimes people come from privilege, right? Like they don't have to because they know there's this like trust that they can always dip into. Yeah. Like if you can't make rent one month, daddy will cover it. Yeah. So we all come from different backgrounds, but money doesn't have to be like a stressful thing. It can be fun and you can, and it doesn't have to be like 50% has to go away. 20% has to go away into your, your savings. I know for me, I did a a different approach. While well, I was working in investment banking, and for those of you who don't know, like it's it's probably one of the highest paying right out of undergrad jobs you can get. Yeah. And I was living in New York, still spent. I think I think back then I was spending like seventeen hundred in rent, which is that's not bad. That's not bad. No, it wasn't Where a lot. Living? I was in Gramercy, but we did a flex. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. So basically, a flex is like it's supposed to be. It was supposed to be a two-bedroom apartment, but we made the living room into a third apartment and just had another person live there. Oh, my God. It's actually kind of common in New York. That's how we were able to live in, like, a really nice neighborhood and not pay much. And so for me, I was like, okay, I'm not spending too much on rent. I can spend more on these other things. And the way that I was able to, I think I put a little bit aside, but the way that investment banking packages are done compensation is that you get almost 50 percent of your net like income yeah like your your, your is in your bonus oh yeah so i just hold out for the bonus didn't really save and then put all of my bonus into my savings which is probably not the best idea but i was really stressed I doing like banking most people in banking do that though or that that's probably an exaggeration but most people i know do that. that yeah they just because you're living their entire salary it's because also you're We'll talk about like lifestyle creep where, yeah, you're hanging out with your investment banking friends. You're in New York. You're going to these Michelin star restaurants. Um, you're buying Gucci heels and Prada boots and everyone else is doing it. And so you're doing it. And you don't want to miss out. And someone else just got the new Prada bag. So you want to get the new Prada bag. It's a slippery slope. So that's why I think a lot of people end up spending more than they plan to when they first start. It becomes like a mental thing. Like it's borderline an addiction. Okay. What is your, like the purchase? You might love it, but what was your most outrageous purchase? To save space, we won't judge you. Like that I regret? You don't have to regret it, but I think it's like, wow, I spent a lot of money on this and maybe like I only wore it once or. Oh my God. Every Zimmerman dress ever. Oh, really? <laughs> Because they're like $1,500 and it's like... Oh my god, It's like a dress. Yeah. Like, wow. okay, yeah, I live in Miami, but it's really only suitable for like a really nice brunch or maybe south of France. Like, you just can't mm. wear it that much. Right? And the thing is because it's so dis- like distinguishable, you it's not like you can like keep on wearing it because someone's like, oh, and you want to take a picture yeah, in yeah. it. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that's People last seen season. it. <laughs> I know people have seen you wear it and you're like, I can't be like, oh. you can wear it multiple times, yeah. right? Yeah. So your wear per use is not that high, but. No, it's not. Whereas yeah. like, if I spend $500 on like a black mini skirt that's really well made. Yeah. And I wear that skirt 30 times a year, then I don't regret spending that money, which like is, I have done that. Right. But like, I love that skirt so yeah. much. Yeah. So some, but I think it's sometimes. I, I forget. I, I saw it on TikTok. But I think when you have the mentality, like, you're only willing to spend a lot for special occasions, uh, it comes from one of those mentalities where, like, 
you save your money, like you feel wrong about mm-hmm. spending on like a skirt that you would wear like every other day potentially. Yeah, and it like improves your quality of life. Yeah, your wear per use is a lot, but you're like, oh, I'll spend like five hundred dollars on a wedding guest dress. Yeah, because you're like, oh, it's a special key, and that's how you. And I'm gonna about get it. one Instagram post out of it. Yeah. <laughs> And we're not here to shame people. Like, we're very guilty. No, we, we've, we've been there. And I think it's just like having a balance, right? You can definitely do those splurge purchases, but then like kind of understand why you're doing it. Like take a step back. I know I was pretty like drained from working in banking that to make myself feel better, I started buying shoes. I had like a designer shoe addiction. And now I work in tech and I never wear any of my heels. It was one of those things where like, I was like, I'm working so hard, making all this money. What was the point? Let me fill this hole. Because I'm not doing anything that I'm like super passionate about. Let me fill this hole by buying more shoes. And then I'm like, oh, I need to make more money and continue this lifestyle. Because now I, ha- I have this like lifestyle of sh- having a bunch of nice shoes. And I want to continue buying shoes. And it's a feedback loop. I can't even tell you. Like, that is exactly where I was going to go. Really? It, the, the most. What was it for you? Like, clothes or? Just idiotic decisions yeah like I, like don't even want to assign like dollar amounts but like i would like walk into Saks and be like oh this is a really nice cashmere sweater and it's cold and you know what i had like a pretty hard yes week at work and we tell you know what people. like what is the point of me working so hard and being so miserable and having so much less free time than all my other friends who don't work such shitty hours and hate you their lives less. have to get something from it. Yeah, I'm like, what am I getting so, out of this? I'm going to get a cashmere sweater out of it. Again, it becomes like a mindset and it becomes right. an addiction where you're constantly burning yourself out and you like almost resent the money. It's wow. like shitty energy that's coming in. So you're just like, get it away from me. Like, I'm going to spend it on this material thing. Yeah. At least I'll get like th- this quick dopamine bump the out dopamine of it. Hit. Yeah. And then, I mean, other people do, like, other hits. Like, other people, like, party too much and right. do drugs and, like, do that. And, like, I I definitely had a phase where I was, like, going out too much as well. You, you do weird things when you hate your life at work. Yeah, because, like, I think it's, you have, like, this cognitive dissonance, right? Where you're, like, oh, why am I working so hard? Yeah, what's I, the point of all let, this? Let me find a reason to justify why I'm working so hard for all this. Like, yeah. there has to be a reason. And the one thing that you get is money. And you want to see that you want the dopamine. You want to see the, the value from your money. Yeah. And then before, I didn't have any designer heels. I didn't care about it. But then I started, then I started caring. The thing with designer as well is like, oh you can put yourself in that headspace where you're like, there's always something. Oh, like I've memorized this entire season's shoes. Or like, I know all this season's like trendy pieces. And I'm going to buy like a slightly modified version of these trendy pieces that I'm seeing on social media so that I'm different. And then you just, incorporate yourself into the meta even more but then nobody cares about what the hell you're wearing and they don't know that your stuff is designer because you care so much to like i don't have to be mainstream designer (laughs) and love it it's about so sometimes you swing a little bit too far on one end of the pendulum and then you have to like come back to center and there are plenty of purchases that i'm like i really love same Um, but then yeah and that have appreciated yeah because they can be investments, but taking that step back and be like, do I really need this shoe in three different colors? If the reason why you're doing it is to fill this gap of like needing something, then that's maybe not a good reason. Yeah. Versus like, oh, this is something that I've wanted for so long. I think it really like 
makes me feel confident. And yeah, like I have this theory and I made a TikTok about it. Okay. But I feel like because so many Americans are in ill-fitting jobs, it gives them the side effect of feeling like there's a hole that they need to fill because they're so like out of alignment with like their ikigai that they fuel consumerism by buying things to fill that hole. And I feel like if everyone was more in their ikigai or like more aligned with their work, then first of all, you wouldn't need to make as much money because you wouldn't be blowing your money on stupid things and like random Amazon purchases. And two, we would just all be living way more sustainable lives. Yeah. I'm worked through the economics of it, but like, no, it makes sense. It's a high level thought. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a reason why it's called retail therapy. It, it helps people feel better. You get a dopamine hit. But you're literally just burning money on fire. Unless it's like a really good bag. I, I still don't regret some of my purchases. Some the heels I do because I thought it was an investment. Like for the rest of my life, I'm going to work in a professional industry where I wear heels. I yeah. probably wear heels besides my going out heels, my, like my work heels yeah. twice a year. Like, and then I regret especially, it. Especially in tech. Yeah. I regret it because I'm like, now I have to wear heels the rest of the day. And yet I have like so many. Do you have a favorite pair? Oh, I love these like Gucci, like, I don't know what they're like. They're almost like heeled clogs, and then they have this like little tassel zipper in the. Okay, it's so fun, and I'll wear that if I feel like I really want to be like. I need to see special. them, but then I have like so many just like black pumps, Re- reasonably sized kitten heel black pumps. Multiple, why? multiple, multiple. I don't know why. Sold? I should I mean, sell them. I should sell them, but then I'm like. That's such a good point. I have sold some. Yeah. But I should sell. I've sold like two bags. Okay. I haven't sold heels. I mean, I just don't. I don't blow money on heels like that. Unless they're like really unique and like beautiful. Like I love, I have like this pair of butterfly heels that are super cool. If they're like intricate and pretty. Yeah. And like art. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But again, you can't go out in them because like, God forbid you like ruin thousand dollar heels i would never forgive myself yeah and shoes are so delicate they are they get destroyed oh my gosh yeah no for me it was like i kept on spending on it because i thought it would be an investment same with like all my work dresses like why do i need so many past the knee shift dresses from theory oh my god i i would never wear them again me and theory have beef yeah don't don't waste your money spending on like a million theory dresses they're also really good if you buy them secondhand really yeah on their real real they're like guys i'm gonna off. sell my my theory dresses <laughs> well, i don't want the poshmark link <laughs> i need to create a poshmark this episode is really good for me i'm gonna sell some of my shoes and my work dresses because they're only just taking closet space yeah so yeah me as well i'll, I'll add it to my to-do list and then what are you gonna do with that money once you sell them that's a good question. I'll probably <laughs> just add it to my like savings account. Well, I think we've covered a lot. I think the main point is just like it's so refreshing to talk about money openly and it's fun. So, it is, like, it's it cool. is fun. Especially that last like I love talking about spending habits. Oh my god. Yeah. We're still working through it. Like we're not perfect. Like we haven't, you know, perfected all of our, our habits. But that no. doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. Right? Like just because you don't love all of your spending habits or all of your investing habits doesn't mean you need to wait until it's perfect to come to the table. So as a reminder, we're going to be doing these every Friday. We'll see you next Friday. I think we're going to be talking about manifesting. 
And yeah, love you guys. Stay pretty invested. Stay pretty invested.